Lightning fast activation, a surge in top of funnel, churn due to AI tourism, lower hurdles for monetization, fast changing market. Your go-to-market can change massively when you incorporate LLMs into your product. The team at Gamma certainly found this to be true. Gamma was founded well before the launch of ChatGPT, then experienced a huge uplift in their business after they started deploying generative AI. Their numbers changed, but so did the fundamentals of their go-to-market. I sat down with Gamma co-founder John Neronia to discuss go-to-market topics like, how did they expect LLMs would change their go-to-market and what actually changed? What user metrics are they focused on? And how have they handled AI tourism? You can listen to the conversation or else read the lightly edited transcript. Enjoy. John, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm very excited to chat with you about what go-to-market means for generative AI companies. I think you all are learning a lot, executing really well. And I think there are a lot of companies that are probably listening to this podcast that are curious to learn from your experience, whether they are generative AI or other types of companies. So I'm excited to dive in. To start, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now and your background? Sure. I'll start with my background and then share what I'm doing. So my background has always been in product management. I started my career at Microsoft as a product manager. I actually worked on Bing before it was famous for being a deranged AI chatbot uh, back when it was just the sort of second run search engine. And then after that, I worked at Optimizely for several years where I was a product manager and eventually the head of product. Optimizely was all about A-B testing and experimentation and kind of went through this journey of starting out as a product-led self-serve business, but then totally pivoted its go-to-market to enterprise, which was a massive transition inside the company. Uh, and then since 2020, the pandemic year, I've been working on a startup called Gamma. And Gamma is a new medium for presenting ideas. So you could think of it as the anti-PowerPoint. We're trying to take that thing you do in PowerPoint, which is present your ideas to your coworkers, to clients, whatever it is, but take all of the icky, difficult parts out of that process. What I mean by that is if you think about, if I were to tell you, hey, Allison, on Tuesday, you have a big presentation you have to give. Uh, it's really high stakes. You got to present to the whole board. How do you feel about that? Are you thrilled and excited about having to make that big presentation? Or do you sort of lock up with fear of all the work that you're going to have to do over the next several days, maybe over the weekend to get it together? You're going to have to figure out the story you're going to tell. You're going to have to do a bunch of design and visual stuff to think of how you want it to look because people are going to judge you for how the output looks. And you're going to have to just write a whole bunch of content as well and put it all together and make it all fit on these little squares. So Gamma's whole vision is what if we could help you present your ideas without all the work of actually building a presentation? And we actually started the company before this whole wave of generative AI. So when we started the company in 2020, we had a bunch of big ideas for how it would help with this. But to be honest, they all look like small ideas relative to what's happened in sort of the industry with AI. Because what we've learned over the last year is it turns out there's just huge swaths of this process that AI can just totally take over and do from writing content to organizing ideas to making things fit to generating images. And I think every day we're still discovering new bits that it can handle. And so over this year, we've really retooled our whole company to be generative AI centric both in the product we offer, but also increasingly in how we operate internally and how we even think about building our go-to-market function. That's exciting. Well, you're the perfect person to talk about this then. To start, how did your go-to-market change when you began to incorporate LLMs into your product? Uh, well, honestly, the biggest difference is that we got a go-to-market function. You know, we, uh, 
We actually originally launched our product in August of 2022. We launched on Product Hunt, and that's how we got our first signups. Um, it's all been product-led from the beginning, but the product could only lead so far before it had AI. We would take you through a quick onboarding that had a couple of videos when you signed up. It was all free to sign up. And then we just drop you into a blank presentation deck and say, good luck, see you soon. And as you can probably imagine, with that blank page problem, most people didn't make it through that funnel. Our activation rate was quite low because they both had to learn this new product that was different from tools they might know, like Google Slides and PowerPoint in various ways. But they also just had to like make something to see the value. If you didn't actually make a presentation, then you weren't going to see the value at the end at all. You would see a couple features and say, oh, maybe that's interesting. Maybe you'd poke around our templates. But there was just a high bar to cross. The actual first reason we introduced generative AI was to solve that onboarding and activation problem. Our goal was, how do we show every new user really concrete value in the first five minutes they use the product? And so we really focused on letting generative AI be generative and having you build a full presentation in Gamma in your first few minutes in the product. And so we sort of focused everything on asking you a series of targeted questions, like, what are you trying to create? What format do you want? One interesting thing about our approach is that we've tried to create this kind of hybrid between presentation, document, and web page. So something that's presentable like slides, but something you can just write from top to bottom like a document. And also there's interactive bits like a web page. So that's kind of a cool concept, but it was hard to actually get across and show people what that meant. But now we just ask you, what do you want to make? A presentation about the rainforest in the form with like web page elements? Sure. Click three buttons and we'll generate it for you. And our whole goal was to actually have a presentation sort of appear before your eyes in our products. And Generative AI let us do that. It let us take any old topic someone brought, whether it was professional or playful, just to see the value. And it let us provide examples that fit their context, their sort of role, even their language. We should talk more about that. But it's let us go to market internationally way quicker than most companies could, I think, because it let us generate a presentation in Spanish or Hebrew or traditional Chinese or whatever we needed. And so we could basically take someone through a whole onboarding and deliver that aha moment in the first five minutes. And that just totally transformed our funnel. That is fascinating. What metric are you actually tracking in order to show how quickly customers are getting value from your product and onboarding? You know, there's a couple different metrics that we use. The first one we've always tracked is sort of our activation rate. And the way we measure activation rate is basically somebody spending 20 minutes editing something in our product. And that was basically just an arbitrary line we drew to distinguish poking around to see what it does versus actually making something real. We could have chosen 30 or 10. We kind of tried all of them. And they all, they honestly all pointed in roughly the same direction. But 20 minutes seemed like a nice threshold to say, people are really in here doing something for real. And it was more predictive of retention. So the next one is like, do they even come back? Week one retention. So seven days after they come back, do they return to make something else? So we track that one. And then of course we capture like a free to paid conversion. The other way to answer your previous question that AI changed our go-to-market funnel is that before AI, we weren't monetizing. And that's because in this sort of productivity space with tools like PowerPoint, the existing tools are already so robust. I mean, if you think of how many features a tool like PowerPoint has, it's like unbelievable how many buttons are in there. And so we had this feeling like we didn't want to charge until we had something that could at least have a solid percentage of what those competitors offered. We didn't want price to deter somebody from joining. But once we had AI, it actually turned things on its head because AI is expensive to run. We pay a certain cost every time we generate a presentation for somebody using AI. And so we decided when we signed up to limit how much AI you could use. So we basically said you have 400 credits and it would cost you 40 to make a presentation. And so there was this natural scarcity built in. You would get your first one free. You could make a few more. I think you could sort of see the whole value. But there was mentally this sort of like ticking 
I guess not a clock because it wasn't time-based, but the same idea of a ticking thing where you said, oh, I should actually evaluate this thing and decide if I want it and then upgrade if I do. And the funny thing is when we launched these credits, we hadn't even been built monetization yet. So we didn't actually know how to charge anybody for our product. But we were stunned that as soon as we launched this, our intercom channel blew up with people saying, how do I pay for your product? I need to pay to unlock more AI. I want unlimited, like let me pay, which my background's all product management. And when people are blowing up your phone saying, how do I pay? That is like the clearest signal you can get of product market fit. So we were thrilled to get that question. Also a little overwhelmed because we had to then go build the whole checkout flow to handle it. But we then did build that all in. And that's kind of the ultimate test is that free to paid conversion. Do you see enough value in your free mode to convert to a paying customer? This is super fascinating. I want to talk a little bit about like the uptick in usage that you've seen since you incorporated LLMs. How did you think about the inbound interest that you were getting and whether it was valuable, how much of it was AI tourism versus people who are genuinely interested? It's funny because like I mentioned earlier, our original goal here with AI was to sort of solve our onboarding challenge and increase our activation rate. So we didn't really think we would get that many more signups when we first launched this. We just thought we would convert the signups we had better. Of course, we put the effort into making a cool launch video and all those things. But again, we didn't really expect it to have the effect it did. What sort of stunned us was it just blew up in terms of people's excitement talking about it. And I honestly think we can't take all the credit for that. It's just that we tapped into this moment where generative AI is the thing. The technology truly is amazing. I mean, all of us were on ChatGPT playing with it on our phones, showing our friends what we'd made. It was just a cool time. And so we saw this huge surge of interest of thousands of people and then tens of thousands of people signing up for our product every day. And you're right, a lot of them fit this model of the AI tourist, which I take to mean somebody doesn't necessarily have a particularly strong use case for your product. They just want to see what this AI thing can do. And I think they want to feel that feeling of amazement. And so, yes, we saw a big surge of people who would come in, uh, use our product for five minutes and say, huh, that was kind of cool, and then leave because they didn't actually have a reason. And so ironically, AI had the exact opposite effect of what I thought it would. It didn't really increase our activation rate because we got so many more casual people coming in, but it drastically increased our top of funnel. So on net, it was still a huge benefit, just not in the way that I thought. The way we're thinking about this is we're just accepting that we're going to have a huge number of these tourists. And that's okay as long as we can extract that smaller slice of people who are much more qualified for what our product can be. And in terms of operating the business, what that means is that we get an awful lot of people using our AI for free who don't end up monetizing. And so the challenge for us is how do we offer that spark of magic in a way that is sustainable financially for us? So what is that lean AI spark that can get people to see the value without breaking the bank for us? And then let that smaller number of people get the full power and really do a lot more. How does that affect your gross margin or or other margins? Uh, well, it certainly does. All of our costs have sort of blown up since launching AI. But surprisingly, it hasn't been as bad as I thought it would be. And I think that's partly because just we've always had this mindset of being relatively like lean and sustainable as a team. And so we sort of disciplined ourselves to only launch our AI integration when we felt like we could do it relatively cheaply without it breaking the bank for us. The other side of it, surprisingly, is that I think AI really changed willingness to pay. So not just people being willing to pay in the first place, but the amount they're willing to pay. 
So the typical sort of like productivity tool, if you think of a tool like, say, um, Notion or Canva or something like that, they often cost in the range of $10 per user per month. What we found, though, when we integrated AI was that there was a higher level of willingness to pay. And so we actually opened up our pricing at 20 bucks per user per month instead. And I really believe that's only possible because we had the AI part. And I think we're starting to see this from some other AI tools as well, even ChatGPT pricing in that kind of a range. So the way I think of it is AI increased our costs, but it also doubled our potential revenue per user. And so as long as we can actually get people to convert, it, it works out, actually. I've heard of a number of generative AI companies that are more consumer, prosumer oriented, having big churn challenges. And as a result of that, they often think differently about how they actually define a customer. What is a customer? What is real ARR? I'm curious to know how you've approached churn and also how you've approached the definition of some of these key business figures. It's actually helpful to hear that others have the same challenge. I think it is a universal one that there's this double-edged sword of AI brings you all these customers, but many of them are relatively fickle and don't stay. I would say for us, churn has been lower than I would like compared to working enterprise software, but also maybe better than I expected compared to what I have heard of some consumer tools. We are still trying to figure out that question you said of like, what is the definition of a customer? Something I've been considering is like, should we make it more of a trial where only after you make it through your first month do we consider you a real customer? But to be honest, things are moving so fast, it's hard for us to know. We only started really monetizing in June and we're talking in September now. And so we don't actually have enough months of data to even know what the lifetime of our customers are yet. I'd love to chat about defensibility, which is also a hot topic in the generative AI world. Many of these categories are competitive. And, you know, I know that talented teams are trying to ensure that they can survive and become dominant players. Like, how do you all think about defensibility? We think about it a lot. I think there's this trade-off in AI where the easier your thing is to show off in a cool, quick demo, the more imitators you'll have, the more people will come. And so we're thinking a lot about what in our product is sort of hard to copy. And for us, in many ways, that's actually not the AI itself. It's what we plug the AI in to do. We're actually lucky that we'd started building the company back in 2020 when this AI craze really only started in late 2022. And so I would actually argue for those first two years, what we were building was defensibility. We were building all the things that are not the AI that differentiate our product and make it robust. And even when we think about our roadmap going forward, it's not just AI, AI, AI. It's 20% AI, 80% unique things we can do with AI that maybe other companies can't. It's also a funny question for us, though, because defensibility kind of implies that you've already won and you're protecting your territory. But for us, we've always been comparing ourselves to PowerPoint, which is sort of the dominant 800-pound gorilla. PowerPoint has 500 million monthly active users. I'm sure just on its own, it could probably have billions of revenue if it were not part of the office suite. And so we are still just a tiny speck compared to a tool like that. And so while we do worry about defensibility, I think what we worry even more about is just growing our relative share in that universe. My final question would be, what is one tip that you would have for companies incorporating LLMs into their product when they're startups? Oh, gosh. Um, we found it really helpful to have a strong culture of prototyping. So with LLMs compared to other kinds of software development, you don't really know how it works until you build it. And I think that's just because AI fundamentally is something you have to run to test out. And so on the way to our successful AI launch, we had at least 10 different product ideas that we sort of tried out at small scale to see if they would do it. And they mostly sucked. Some of them had promise, but they just weren't good enough. Either the AI itself wasn't good enough or the ways we were kind of joining that AI with our data and our models, it just wasn't magical. And so 
we really drew a lot of ideas out on the way to getting there. And I think generally startups are good at this, but the larger your organization gets, the harder it is to maintain that culture of prototyping. Certainly having worked in product management as sort of midsize and large companies, there's often this feature factory quality where it's like, we're going to make one big bet. We're going to push it all the way down to the finish line and we're going to hope that it works. And that model just really cannot work with LLMs. It doesn't really work with anything, but it especially doesn't work with AI and the way that it's evolving now. The other one I'll just say related to that in terms of how we built our team is that I think there's this misconception that to compete in this AI market, you need a lot of machine learning engineers, people who are really experts at sort of like training these models. And I think actually the opposite of is mostly true. The foundation models are already so good that what people really need are ways to apply those to their use case. And for us, the skill set we think best applies to that is actually a UX designer. And so relative to a lot of teams out there, we are really heavy on UX design. We're a team of 12 people right now, and four of those are UX designers. And I think having a third of your team be designers is pretty much unheard of, even in small startups. But it's because we've found that so much of the value here comes from applying new technology, putting it into a workflow, and rapid prototyping. This is a terrific conversation, John. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. It's great talking to you. 